If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. The scripture lesson comes from Genesis, the 17th chapter, beginning at the first verse. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall you call her. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Can Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Here ends this reading inspired by God. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. This is a story about beginnings. The entire book of Genesis is about beginning, the beginning of order out of chaos, the beginning of creation, the beginning of humankind, the beginning of Israel, and the beginning of the relationship between God and a particular people. Now, this idea, this idea of an elected people might rub our modern ears the wrong way, but Of course Israel wrote the story so that they are God's chosen people. If you were writing the story, why would you name anyone besides yourself as the chosen people? That would be dumb. Our text is part of that beginning. Although it is such a long beginning, this is really the middle of the beginning. We are about halfway through the chapters that tell the story of Abraham and Sarah. We are first introduced to Abraham, then 
Abram in the 11th chapter of Genesis. He is the oldest son of Terah, and Abram, his wife Sarai, and nephew Lot live in a place called Haran. These, um, these details are meh, and the story picks up after this. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And then comes the part, the promise many of us are familiar with. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, Abram seems incredibly chill about being asked to leave everything he knows for an unknown destination, especially since, according to the text, Abram has been eligible for Medicare for 10 years. People Abram's age do not like to move. They will fight tooth and nail to stay in their own home. Do not try to entice them with things like assisted living communities that offer regular hot meals, housekeeping, or an on-site swimming pool. And let me be clear, I am speaking of myself in 50 years because I am learning how to resist this from the best. Bless my grandmother's heart. Moving is just one of the things that should have concerned Abram about this message from God. The other part of the promise that God will make you a great nation, well, this means kids. And as any parent will tell you, kids change everything. And again, considering his Medicare eligibility, it will take some kind of science miracle magic for this 75-year-old and Sarai, who is almost as old, to have a baby. But this does not seem to phase Abram. No verbal response is recorded. It's possible that Abram suffered from selective hearing, a condition very common among men. <laughs> but Abram must have heard God because he and Sarai packed it all up and headed into the unknown. They set out for Canaan, and when they arrived at Shechem, the Lord appeared to Abram again to announce, to your offspring I will give this land. Abram builds an altar to mark the place, a reminder of the promise, just in case they would be passing through again. This pattern repeats itself in the next chapter, chapter 13, when God takes Abram on a walk and says, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west, all the land you see, you, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Rise up, walk the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So first Abram bent down to scoop up a handful of sand and let it run through his fingers, the dust of the earth. Sarah, who had been watching from the tent, walked out and bent down beside him. What are you doing? Nothing, nothing, just dreaming. So Sarah wrote their initials in the sand, A plus S, and drew a heart around them. 
then walked back to the tent after kissing the top of his head. So Abram and his family kept moving, kept pulling up the stakes, and then pounding the tent stakes back into the dust. Years go by, more years go by, and yet hope held. Maybe next year. Well, maybe next year. And every once in a while, God would show up to remind Abram of the promise. It happens again in chapter 15. God comes to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram reminds God that there is still no child. So God wakes him from the vision and nudges him outside of the tent to show him the stars. Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them at all. So shall your offspring be over and over this promise. And yet, and yet the years pass. And yet, Abram somehow keeps the faith. Then in chapter 16, Sarai, who had not had so many visits from God, takes matters into her own hands. Sarai is not a silent partner in this venture, so she does what she thinks she is supposed to do, even though it must have killed her on the, ins the inside. Unable to bear a child herself, but not powerless, she would contribute in the only way she knew how. So Sarai gave her handmaid Hagar to Abram, which is the cleaned up, way of saying Sarai forced her slave to marry and have sex with her husband in order to make a baby. Hagar got pregnant and Sarai got mad. And it was only by direct intervention that God, that by God, that Ishmael and his mother lived. Perhaps that was it. Maybe Ishmael was the fulfillment of the promise, strained though it was, not exactly what Abram or Sarai or Hagar, for that matter, had expected. The boy learned to call two women mother, learned to know when to stay out of the way, and learned about his father's God. And this is how it went for 13 years. It was mostly fine. After all, isn't this what had been promised? Shouldn't Abram be content? The son had been granted. Everything seemed to have been fulfilled. And yet, and yet there were still nights Sarai found Abram outside in the dark, staring up at the sky. When she would walk up beside him, she could see the stars shining in his eyes. What are you doing? She would ask him quietly. Nothing, nothing, he would answer. And then she would take his hand and he would let her lead him back inside the house. And then in the text we read today, in Abram's 99th year, decades after God had first appeared to him, God shows up again on Abram's front porch. Perhaps Abram assumed this was a check-in to see how things were going. But it turned out that God did not consider anything to have been fulfilled, that the present reality was not what had been promised. There was still more waiting and hoping in store for Abram and Sarai. So on this visit, God gave Abram more aggressive reminders of the promise. 
We didn't hear about one of the signs in the scripture reading because the organizers of the lectionary left it out. I don't blame them. Men get real antsy when there's talk of circumcision. But that's what happens in verses 8 through 14 of chapter 17. Every male among you shall be circumcised, God said. And wouldn't it have been something to see Abram's face in that moment? You want us to do what? But ultimately, Abram agreed, clinging to yet another sign of the promise, even if it meant limping around the house for a few days. The second reminder of the covenant, though less physical, was no less painful, a name change. On one hand, this should have been no big deal. Abraham and Sarah, pretty close to Abram and Sarai, not too difficult an adjustment. The problem was what the names meant. Abram became Abraham, meaning father of a multitude of nations, and Sarai became Sarah, for kings of people shall come from her queen. Queen. Can you imagine? Every time someone forgot and called Abram, Abraham, Abram, Abraham would have to say, no, no, it's Abraham now, remember? And the person would say, right, right, father of multitudes. And then under their breath mutter, who does he think he's kidding? He's the father of one awkward teenage boy, self-aggrandizing much. And you can imagine what it was like for Sarah, Sarah, mother of nations, to hear that name spoken from Hagar's mouth, the one who had actually given Abraham a son, a taunt, no matter how she said it. Or to hear that name spoken from Abraham's mouth, was that disappointment she heard? Or, or was it hope, which may have been just as painful? For year after year after year went by, and she never had any news to share with him about a surprise. Father of a multitude and mother of nations. I am exhausted on their behalf. It is a hard thing to believe in a promise, to live by it day after day after day, to see it in the night sky and hear it, in your name and in the name of your beloved, it is a hard thing to believe in a promise so long in coming. Everything will happen by and by, but in the meantime, what is there to live on now? And yet, and yet, what better way to live than in the grip of a promise? Who in their right mind would give that back? to wake every morning to the possibility that today might be that day, to be wide awake, looking, noticing everything, the shifting shadow of a cloud, the change of tone in another's voice, the pause between one breath and the next, to treat every stranger as if they might be an angel in disguise, to take nothing for granted, or to take everything as granted, though not yet grasped, to handle every moment of one's life as a seed of promise and to plant it tenderly, never knowing if this moment or the next may be the one that grows. To live like that 
is to discover that the blessing is not future, but now. The promise may not be fully in hand. It may be still on the way, but to live reverently, deliberately, and fully awake, that is what it means to live in the promise, where the weight itself is as rich as the end. All it takes is some regular reminders, an unplanned trip, the wind on your face, the first green blade peeking out, a star-filled sky. That is what Abraham and Sarah found out anyway. For two dozen years, they lived in the promise held together by the thinnest of threads. For two dozen years, they watered every seed that fell upon their path without losing sight of where they were going or what had set them on their way. The days were long, and the years even longer, but still they kept faith. There were lean times and years of plenty, but they were all God's time. And one day, one day Sarah did have some news for Abraham. We, we are inheritors of the covenant, of course, although sometimes you wouldn't know it, there is a trend of naysaying, of despair, of hand-wringing that has caused some of us to close our doors, shutter our windows, and pull the covers over our heads as if, as if we know where we are in the process. Well, must be somewhere towards the end, so it's okay to stop working, stop moving, stop hoping. But I say there are signs all around us that those who mourn shall be comforted, that the meek shall inherit the earth, that the hungry shall be filled with good things, that we are all walking towards the promised land. Signs all around, surely you have seen them too. The bluebird that returned to the backyard just last week, the rain, slow and steady, the prayer of a teacher, the teenagers from Florida with fire in their eyes. Are we in the beginning of something right now, or maybe the middle of a beginning? Sometimes it's hard to tell. So let's just trust that we are and live accordingly. Keep the faith, church. Keep the faith. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.